Um, th- this week, I had a great week celebrating um, a non-monumental birthday. Um, 37 has never felt so good to me. And, um, and I, I felt like overly celebrated this week. It was like every night there was, there was this big dinner, you know, celebration. And, and I don't know why, but I'm, I'm grateful because I like celebrations. Like I don't, I don't mind being celebrated and I love celebrating other people. Most of all, I love celebrating the things that God has done. Maybe you do as well. A celebration is um, as a public observance to praise someone or something. And we do this in our culture a lot. All, every culture does. Take time to celebrate, to celebrate someone or something. And celebration has always been one of the things that God has used to, to build and to rebuild his people. Moments of celebration have, have so much meaning to them. They're, they're markers for your life. And, and while this was a, a non-monumental birthday for me, some of the celebrations on those monumental birthdays, like I, I remember, I'll never forget. I, I remember a celebration for my 30th birthday. And, and, and there were all kinds of people gathered there from my life past and my life present. And, and there was this great food and time to be together and celebrate. And they, they graciously affirmed me in so many ways. And I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget that celebration. God used it to, to build something in me. And, and God does that for us as a people. It's, it's not just the birthday we celebrate, maybe the birthday of our church or the day it launched or, or, or whatnot, but it's things that God has done and, and it's who God is. God has always used celebration to help, again, build and rebuild his people, to remind them of who he is and remind them of what he has done and to use that to build them, not just to build them as a, as a person, a particular person, but to build them as a people. And we see it throughout Scripture. And this morning we get to Nehemiah chapter 12, the end of it, and we see God's people celebrating and for good reason. I mean, God had, God had given them permission from a conquering king to go rebuild their their hometown. God had given them all the resources from that king to, to do what they needed. They had, had money and resources to, to rebuild that they wouldn't have had otherwise. I mean, they overcame great obstacles and opposition in the meantime. They, they did their work in a way that just turned out to be almost miraculous. They accomplished something in a matter of days that it took, had took you know, decades and centuries to to think through and complete. No one else could do this. And at the end of the book of Nehemiah, we said that they saw a national revival. I mean, how long have we prayed for those kinds of things? They saw it. They saw a national revival among God's people. They had a lot of reason to celebrate. And church, I want to tell you that in this season as a church, we have a lot of reason to celebrate as the village church. I mean, one of the things that we get to celebrate is that we got to gather, that we got to meet together. And at this church, we've been meeting together, I don't know if you realize this, but over a year, we've been meeting together outside. We were one of the first churches that I knew that were actually gathered together, even if it was outside, and we gathered over there for better part of a year. Like, we got to gather together. And I talked to pastors in, in our network that are just beginning to gather. They never got to gather over this last year. We got to celebrate that. We celebrate the fact that God, we saw our church grow by about 50% over this last year. I mean, that, that's amazing from where we were pre-COVID to the, the amounts of people that have been coming during that season. Like, God has grown this church. We've seen people like our friend Serena get saved and come to the knowledge of the truth and place her faith in Jesus. 
We saw community groups creatively meet. And, and I talked to a community group leader this week. Peter, she, we, we were talking about their group had like almost perfect attendance over that season, albeit online. And then they began to meet each other in different ways. And the, it's just their community has really grown. We praise God for that. We celebrate that. We've seen families like the Sings become foster parents. In a, in a, in a season where every, everyone is marked by so much need, there's so much need, they decided to meet the need of an infant that was in need, right? We've seen God do amazing things in particular families in the life of our church, and we celebrate that. We saw hundreds of college students, hundreds of college students gather for Gather OC out in our parking lot on Sunday evenings. Xavier Lamone was talking to me the other day about this is one of the greatest things he's ever been part of in the life of our church, and I, I say amen to that. It was for us as well. We gave tens of thousands of dollars to fellow partners in this church that were in need, on top of just by the grace of God, sort of holding our own on our yearly budget in the midst of a pandemic season. I mean, we have so, I could, I could continue to go on. We have so many reasons to celebrate as God's people at the Village Church. The question this morning might be, how should we celebrate? How do God's people celebrate? How does God want his people to celebrate. And I think that this passage in Nehemiah 12 gives us a few lessons that we can learn. And I think we can easy, easily apply to our day. And the first one, is, I think, is found in verse 30. We're going to start there this morning. It says, And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. I think it's really simple. The first thing we learn here is that God's people celebrate with purity. God's people celebrate with purity. This is one of the things that differentiates the celebration of God's people. So look, don't get me wrong. God's people have the freedom in him to celebrate with, with many of the same things that, that all kinds of people celebrate with. Good food and good drinks, good time together. The Old Testament feasts, are the, they have all of these things included. Matter of fact, the book of Nehemiah has all of these things included. After God's people hear the reading of his word, they're convicted by it. They begin to mourn and leaders say, no, 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 don't mourn. This is a holy day. It's a day of celebration. And back in chapter 8, verse 10, it says, then they said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to everyone who has nothing. For this day is holy to the Lord. Don't be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Go to your homes and grill up some bone and ribeyes with the fat. Eat it. You know, pour the wine, the sweet wine. Maybe there's some port wine for dessert. Like, go have a good time and enjoy and celebrate the things that God has done. Verse 12, and all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing. Why? Because they had understood the words that God declared to them. They understood the reading of God's word. And at that, the leader said, go home and celebrate this. And cook some great food and enjoy good, exquisite stuff and, and celebrate. And if someone doesn't have some, pass it along to them and share what you have. Share these good things with God's people and celebrate. God's people have the freedom in Christ today to celebrate with all of these same things in many ways. And in this season, you know, maybe you have recently had a graduation party and you have good food and drinks and you're celebrating with God's people Maybe it's a wedding and people are celebrating and making toasts and enjoying good food. You know, maybe you go out for dinner for your anniversary with your spouse or you invite people over to your house to celebrate. You have a promotion at work. 
This week we celebrated you can go in Costco without a mask. I mean, we, we, there's all kinds of reasons. Like, we threw a huge party. Costco, no mask. Oh, yes, Lord. You know, and we just grilled up a bunch of food, and it was incredible, right? But we should always do this in a way that maintains our purity as God's people. Ephesians 5 says, don't be drunk with wine, because that is debauchery. It's not purity. But be filled with the Spirit. I think some of us have learned, right, God is not opposed to his people enjoying these good things in their celebrations. I mean, we're going to celebrate one day at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus told his disciples when they were sharing a meal together that he wasn't going to drink the wine until he had it with them on that day. But only in a way that doesn't compromise their purity. And church, I think this is a good reminder that when we don't get this right, we no longer are part of a godly celebration. We might even be with God's people and we might even be celebrating great things that God has done, like bringing people together in a marriage or helping someone graduate college or gifting someone a promotion or celebrating the anniversary of a spouse, two spouses, like beautiful things that God by his grace has done, but we're no longer part of a godly celebration, even if we're celebrating those things. Listen, while we have freedom in Christ to enjoy some of these good things in our private celebrations, when we leave our homes, when we leave our houses and we come into the house of God as it were, right, we, we as Christians, it's our practice to forego some of those freedoms to focus together on celebrating the things that God has done. Right? At the Village Church, we have guidelines for this. Right, like, like what, how we share things in our homes in the ways that are congruent with Scripture is, is a little bit different than when we gather together for all church events. And for some of these reasons, we see this happening in Nehemiah chapter 12 now. After they've gone to their homes and they've celebrated in good and godly ways and enjoyed all of God's good gifts to them in ways that are biblically called for, they get together and do things, something that is biblically called for in another way. It says in verse 30, the priests purified themselves and they purified the people, the gates and the wall. And here purification equals devotion. They're saying, Lord, we, we purify ourselves because we want to say we're devoted to you above everything. And we don't know exactly what they, they did, but scholars tell us that they, they probably did at least four things, at least the priest did, and then passed these things on to their people. They did ceremonial washings, fasting, abstinence, and sin offering. And the two are really bookends, the ceremonial washing and the sin offering. The ceremonial washing, think baptism, where they would walk into a pool of water and they would like baptize themselves and come out to remind themselves, yeah, I've not always lived in a pure and devoted way toward God. And I'm reminding myself of that and I'm declaring those things. But I want to. And so I'm going to forego all kinds of other things. I'm going to fast. I don't need fancy food. I don't need fancy drinks and sweet wine. All I need, all I need is God. I'm going to fast from those things. I want to walk in purity and I don't need anything else. I only need God. Went so far as abstinence for a season. It was probably a couple of days, a few days leading up to the celebration. Even good and godly things like marital intimacy between spouses. They said, we don't even need that to, to celebrate. And, and we don't even need that pleasure to, to celebrate the pleasures that God brings us. We're, we're declaring to you we want to be set apart for you and for you alone. And then the sin offering on the backside. Reminding them, acknowledging that they, they'd not lived in perfectly pure and in devoted ways to God. And that they had sin and that they needed a covering for their sin. And it foreshadows this covering we see coming through Christ. Now listen, you might be thinking, okay, well, do I take a special shower before church on Sundays? No. 
Please shower before church on Sundays, right? Do I need to fast? No, you, you might want to. Uh, marital abstinence? No, not for me. Um, offering? Um, we already have one offering, Jesus, right? Okay, so, so when we come together as God's people, though, this is the point. Is that we celebrate who God is and what he has done. And we worship him because of it. And, and here's the thing. We should do that with a tangible sense of purity. And there should be tangible things. These are tangible things. The washing, the fasting, the abstinence, the sin offering. There should be tangible things that we do to demonstrate that we are devoted to God above all else as we come to celebrate him as a people. And so, church, I would ask you, like, as you come together to celebrate Jesus and to worship him together as a people, are there tangible things that you do? Yeah, maybe it's you don't have wine after a certain hour on Saturday nights because you want to sleep well. Maybe you go to bed early because you want to be refreshed. Maybe you wake up early and brew a cup of coffee and you do a... a a prayer of recollection, and you think about the ways that, that maybe you've gone through your week without confessing your sin to God, and you prepare your hearts for Sunday morning. Maybe you open your scripture to the passage that's coming, and you know it's coming, and, and you do some reading, and, and you sort of think and pray over it. You prepare yourself to come because you want to say, Lord, I'm devoted to you. There's tangible things that I am doing in my normal routines to say I'm devoted to you and to you alone, and I want to walk in purity. I want to prepare myself as I come before you with your people. Like this is the spirit of which with godly people celebrate. They celebrate with purity, but there are some specifics, and we see them back a few verses earlier in verses 27 to 29. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem. What? To celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, and cymbals, and harps, and lyres. It says in the end that the singers had built for themselves entire villages around Jerusalem. And the second thing we see here is it's really simple. It's that God's people celebrate with song. It's not that you celebrate together with purity, but God's people celebrate with song. There was so much singing that went along with all the celebrations and the worship of God in the Old Testament. So many of them that helped with that. We had a, we had a big band this morning. That was pretty great. And there's so many people singing that they had to build entire neighborhoods outside of Jerusalem to house them all. And this should be another thing that differentiates the celebration of God's people. It's singing. Now, some scholars say this began really early, like as early as Genesis chapter 2, where, where Adam says, like, you know, knows he's, he's not, it's not adequate to be by himself. He needs a helper, and so God makes him a helper Eve. And it says, then the man said, and, and that's a really broad word said, this is at lowest bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Shall she, be, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Some scholars say, like, this is like a poem or, or a song that, that, that Adam sung because he rejoiced so much that God had gifted him his wife. Whether that's true or not, we see this all throughout the, the Old Testament. Moses, then Moses spoke the words of the song until they were finished. The song of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 21, and he recounts all the things that God has done. We see it in David in the Psalms mostly. As we open the Psalms, most of us, pretty often, we see that it's filled with songs that God's people sang to him. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. I mean, this was the theme of their singing. It was the reason they sang as they celebrated and worshiped God, because of his steadfast love. Because God was always faithful to his people, 
even when they were not faithful to him. And this was the different in the Old Testament paradigm with, with religion and covenantal relationship. There's a difference in these things. People who practice religion have no reason to sing and to celebrate. But people who practice and are part of a covenantal relationship with God have plenty of reason to sing and to celebrate as they worship. Because religion is all about appeasing God. And listen, there is no reason to sing in that. There's no reason to sing for joy if our lives are dedicated simply to appeasing God. There's no joy and rejoicing in that. But in covenant relationship, covenant relationship is meant for enjoying God. Enjoying God and who he is and what he's done for us, which, which gives us an incredible reason to sing. And so as we look at the New Testament, we see that the singing continued in the coming of Jesus and the life of the early church. I mean, when, when it's announced to Mary that, that all of these fulfilled prophecies are going to come true and, that, and she's going to give birth to the Messiah, she sings. We call it Mary's Magnificant. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Jesus and his disciples, they, they, they did all of the singing and the traditions that all of the, the Jewish people had done for all of those years. I mean, Jesus sang. Jesus ascended to, to, to Jerusalem. He sung the songs of ascent like he went up. They, they did all of these things together. Jesus lived and he died and he rose and his church was birthed and, and it gave them even more reason to sing, even in the hardest of times. Familiar to most of you is a passage in Acts chapter 16 when, when Paul and Silas are in jail and then they're praying and they're singing hymns to God and the prisoners are listening to them, probably wondering, what are they doing? They're in prison, but they're praying and they're singing because as Christians, it doesn't matter in a sense what our circumstances are. Listen to me, I know some of you come this morning and you're going through hard things. But I see you continue to sing and to celebrate and to rejoice because God has done bigger things for us. He saved us and, and brought us to a knowledge of the truth. He's called us his own. We have reason to sing and to celebrate no matter what's going on in our lives. And Paul reminds the church of this in the book of Colossians where it says, let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Doing what? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. This is what God's people do we sing. Maybe you're asking, why do we do that? Like, why, why is this, why is the singing, why, are they, why, why is that all part of what we do? And I think part of the answer is the reality that only Christians celebrate with singing in their worship because only Christians have the freedom to celebrate it with the kind of joy that we do because of the grace we've received. Have you ever noticed that in other religious systems, they, they chant, but they don't sing? And even sometimes their religious leaders, they do this sing-ish thing, like, da, da, da. you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like a song, and I, I, but, but it's, not, it's not the same. It's not the same as what we do. Why do we do what we do, and they do what they do? And I think it's connected to the idea of works and grace, religion and covenantal relationship. Yeah, if, you're just, if you're just religious, there's nothing to sing about. Religion is depressing. It's demoralizing. It's trying to live up to God's standards when you never can. It's always being beaten down by the fact that you can't do it. Religion, they, you can't sing if you're religious. What is there to sing about? But if you're in a covenant relationship with God, <laughs> and he's given you grace and showered mercy over you, 
and he invites you in and, and you don't have to worry about measuring up anymore because Christ has already done it for you and you've received the gift of God is grace by faith. <laughs> and then there's so much reason to sing and rejoice. Like we have so much joy. That's why we sing when we celebrate. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed, but our songs, sometimes we sing songs and you look at words on the screen and we're singing things about our sin and how weighty it is, but they never end there. Those songs always talk about what God's done to deal with our sin and, and the benefits that we have because he's dealt with our sin. Like as Christians, we have the ability to sing and so we do. Religious people can't sing. There's no reason to sing. People that are in a covenantal relationship with God by, by the grace of God shown through Christ, have, we have so much reason to sing and so we should. I want you to know that this idea about God's grace and the truth of his gospel, it informs everything we do as a church. I hope you see that and feel that and know that. It informs the songs that we sing. And the Village Church, we sing songs in kind of three categories, and I really believe in this order. We sing songs about who he is, about what he has done, and sometimes about how that makes us feel. Now, I'm not very good at math and numbers, and so here's my simple analogy, okay? And it doesn't really work because who he is and what he's done kind of go together. And so maybe that should have all been in one like piece of the pie. But you get the picture. Right? I hope you get the picture. So, so we sing most of our songs just to declare who he is. Like, like the, the words of the songs that we sing in our church, we sing just to simply declare this is who you are. And we're grateful for that. And we want to celebrate you for who you are. The next thing we look at is, is words in songs that, that celebrate what he has done. We celebrate who you are and what you have done, and that's what we sing about because that's the thing that's worth singing about. And we might sing a song here and there about just the way that that makes us feel, and that's not a bad thing, but we want to focus on who he is and what he's done. Do feelings come along with that? Absolutely. That's not where we start, but sometimes it's where we end because we are filled with, with gratitude and emotion toward God for what he has done. Does this make sense? And so as you listen to the songs, I want you to see that. Even the songs this morning, they're all about who he is and what he's done. We have a chance to celebrate him for those things. Right? And we should get used to it. Because <laughs> in Revelation 5, it says, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain, by, and by your blood you ransomed people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. They're singing a song about the gospel in heaven. This is why we're singing to you. And we're going to do it for more than 20 minutes, right? <laughs> it's going to be a bit. God's people not only celebrate purity in song, but they do it together. Look at verse 43. They offered great sacrifice that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy, and the women and the children rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard from far away. God's people celebrate together. Again, another simple truth, but a reminder this morning, God's people celebrate together. Like this should be another thing that differentiates the celebration of God's people. Not necessarily the, the fact that men and women and children all gather together to do this, to celebrate, but that, but that what should be different is, is the, the place it holds in our lives, that, that we all gather together. And, and the place that this holds in our lives should be distinctive for Christians, I mean, Nehemiah 12, 43, it's literally the climax. It's the high point of the book of Nehemiah. And it's meant to point us to the, it's the high point of this story of Nehemiah. It's meant to point us to the high point of the story when all of God's people gather one day to worship him. And if it's, 
the gathering of God's people to celebrate him together is, is the high point of this story, and it's meant to point us to the high point of the story, the grand story, the ultimate story. The question is, is it the high point of our story? Are you with me? If it's the high point of this story, and it's meant to point us to the high point of the story, the question is, is it the high point of our story? Like, is the high point of our week when we get to come and gather together with God's people and worship him and celebrate him? I mean, is that the high point of our week, our time that God's allotted us in any given seven days? This is something God does, I believe, when he changes you. As Christians, sometimes we talk about this as evidences of God's grace. If you're a Christian, you know this. Like, when you come into faith in Jesus, things about you change. Like, all of a sudden, you have a desire to read the Bible, and you're like, I never really had that desire before, but now I do. You have a desire to pray. You're like, I only prayed during emergencies, but now, like, I just want to pray and tell God all kinds of stuff. You have a desire to do all kinds of new things. You have a desire to obey. Like, I didn't really want to obey God in that, but actually now, I kind of do. I don't know why. I think this must be God's grace in my life. And when you become a Christian, you have a desire to be with God's people. It's an evidence of God's grace in your life. It says in Nehemiah 12, 43, and they gathered, offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. Did you catch this? For God had made them rejoice with great joy. This was a gift from God. Gathering with God's people to celebrate him and to worship him was a gift from God to them. Question, is that the way we see it? I hope we do. I hope we do. At the Village Church, we have first Sundays, right? And first Sundays, our, our, our middle schoolers are here with us, our high schoolers are here with us, and, and parents are free to go grab their kids, and they come down, and generally after church, we do some kind of fun thing together. We celebrate, we celebrate why? Together as an entire family. God's people celebrate together. They celebrate with purity and in song and together, and there's one last thing, and we find it at the end, verses 44 to 47. It says, on that day, men were appointed over Jerusalem, the storerooms, rather, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes. Skip down, next verse, it says, and they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, and they did as the singers and the gatekeepers should, right? At the end, it says, and all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, they all gave to the daily portions. They all gave. They were all generous. And this is the fourth and last simple thing that God's people celebrate with generosity. With generosity. And this should be another thing that differentiates the celebration of God's people that they're not just part of the celebration with their presence or with their singing, but through their generosity. They celebrate and they worship through their generosity so that, so that the next generation can continue to see who God is and what he has done. So this continues. So the celebration of God continues to another generation. What a fitting morning to talk about that together as we do baby dedications, to remind ourselves that, that we give. And one of the reasons we give generously as the people of God to the work of God through our local church is we want to see it continue on to the next generation. That's why they were doing all being together. And that's the point of us all being together, is that another generation would grow to follow him in these ways. And there's a lot that takes that needs to happen to, to make that happen. I mean, in the Old Testament, you know, scheme, there were all kinds of things that happened and all the sacrifices and the offerings and the washings. I mean, it was a full-time job just to do that stuff. And they had lots of men that did it, the priests and the Levites. And they couldn't spend other time doing things like selling things or making things or running a business or doing this or that. I mean, there were some of them that needed to devote their time to that. 
And today the same thing is true. We have some people that devote their time to those specific things and some people that devote some time and some people that devote more time and we've got volunteers that devote time but we've got some people that just, that's what they're devoted to. Why? So that this stuff can happen all the time, every week, week in and week out so that the mission of God's people can continue on and it can continue on for another generation. And there are things that need to happen today in that sense. And I get to be up in the office mid, midweek and I get to see your pastors and your, the deacons, your staff people, you know, ministry leads, like working hard for you guys and planning and praying and, and working and giving themselves to the, the work of the ministry and the life of this church. And the way that that happens is through the generosity of God's people. And don't get me wrong, like that is worship, right? And today we're not following an Old Testament standard of giving. We're following actually a, a better standard that Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Each one must give as he's dedicated in his heart, not reluctantly under compulsion. Why? For God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a person that celebrates as they give because they know they're part of the work of God. And church, I want to tell you, our gratitude to God should not be, or should be expressed, I'm sorry, as much through our giving as it is through our singing. It's so easy to sing, it's a little harder to give, but this is the reality and we see it here. It's all part of the way that we worship and celebrate God. Our gratitude to God should be expressed as much through our giving as through our singing. And this is true because in our giving, we're reminded of what God has ultimately given to us. And at the end of this little section in 2 Corinthians 9.15, is that familiar verse I know most of you know, thanks be to God for his in expressible gift. Paul's not talking about money. Paul's talking about the gift of God's Son given to us in Jesus Christ. And the good news for us today as the people of God is that we have a Savior who has been completely dedicated to God, who has lived a life of perfect purity toward God on our behalf. So we don't have to come with ceremonial washings and sacrifices and offerings anymore. Like when we offer our resources to God or when we offer our voices to God or if we offer our talents, our gifts, and our abilities to God, the things that we offer to God now, we offer freely to him, joyfully to him because of what he's offered to us. He gave us his son to live that sinless, pure life on our behalf to die on the cross and in our place and for our sins all the times where we lived our life in a less than pure way and that where we weren't devoted to God completely. And he rose from death to, to prove who he was. I mean, it's the ultimate thing we celebrate, right? I mean, isn't Easter Sunday our ultimate celebration because it's the ultimate thing that God has done? Trampling death with death and reminding us who he is and giving us an opportunity to be forgiven for our sin and now free to live the lives that he's called us to and to freely worship him and to celebrate him in the ways he's ordained for us. I think that's connected to our good news this morning and I think it's something like this, that God has given us the greatest thing to celebrate in giving Jesus to us and for us. I mean, church, we, we have the greatest thing to celebrate. As God's people, we should be the ones. We should own celebration, pure celebration to be sure. It should have some singing in it. We should all do it together. And we should offer our celebration, our offerings, all that we have generously to God because he's already generously given to us. And so we're going to end our time this morning, as every morning, singing to him, celebrating him, 
because he deserves it, because of who he is and because he's what he's done. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that we have so much reason to celebrate. And we thank you that you're the one who's given us the reason to celebrate. That we only have the reason to celebrate the way we do because of who you are, a generous God, and because of what you have done, Father, generously giving your son to us and for us. And so we are thankful. Lord, we are grateful. And we willingly, we joyfully, we eagerly celebrate you. Father, you have given us everything we need. Father, we declare together that you are all we need. And so we lift your name high above every name, above everything and anything else. And we do it in the name of and for the sake of Jesus. Amen.